most mornings. The boys come in and have a cuddle. Realistically, when I was working, I wasn't even finding time for that because I was like, oh, my first meeting's at 8.30 and I've got to have breakfast and I've got to do my prep work before that first meeting. This is the Intelligent Rebellion. Howdy, 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 folks, and welcome to the Intelligent Rebellion Podcast. My name is Ria Mikado, and I am your host. The sun is shining today, and the birds are chirping, which is so appropriate given our guest today. His name is Ed Hughes. He is a father, a husband, and a rat race escapee. Now, have you ever thought about giving up your corporate day job and living a simpler life? Well, Ed did, and Ed did. Ed chats about his intentional decision to escape the rat race and to explore and live a life of purpose. And he plans to live this life with his family at an eco-village just north of Sydney. So sit back, grab your favorite kombucha. This is Ed Hughes. Alrighty, alrighty. Hey, Ed, um, thank you so much for coming on to the Intelligent Rebellion podcast. How are Thanks you? for having me, Ria. I'm great. Um, you and I know each other fairly well, we um, but for the sake of me not fucking it up, um, <laughs> do you want to introduce yourself to the world? Uh, g'day, I'm Ed. Uh, I'm a father. Uh, I'm a husband. I'm a rat race escapee. I'm a former banker uh, and a former consultant. Um uh, and very concerned about the environment and trying to do more to make the world for my kids a better place. And this is exactly why um, I wanted to talk to you because I've always known you as that corporate dude <laughs> with the nice suits and shit like that. In December 2021, I did have it as June 2022, but you corrected me earlier. You actually had a LinkedIn post that said, earlier this month, I finished up with group after four and a half fun, rewarding, challenging years, I loved the people and the work was interesting, but ultimately I found I wasn't investing enough in what's most important, my wife and my kids. And now your profile actually says you are a rat race escapee. Okay, I'm going to shut the fuck up because I need to hear all about it. Like start, <laughs> go Ed Hughes. Uh, so I was a consultant at a great firm, a firm called Nows Group, um, that I have uh, a lot of admiration for the people that choose to stick it out. I was there for four and a half years, but uh, ultimately I realised, particularly through the last couple of years of COVID, where I think I went into the office like eight times, I think it was, over the course of two years, and I spent the rest of the time in my own house. Despite the fact I was in my own house for two years, I basically wasn't seeing my wife and my kids at all. So I would wake up in the morning, I would come straight into the office. Uh, depending on what meetings there were that day, I may or may not shower before coming into the office. I might just go straight in and would be on Zoom calls for eight hours of the day. Uh, and in between that, I would be doing work. And then after that, I would be doing work. I'd pop out, I'd have dinner with the kids and with the wife, and then I'd come back in and I'd do more work. And I'd gotten into a real rut with it. So I just needed to get out. I basically got to the point where, yep, what's more important to me, this job where I do actually enjoy the work or spending time with the people that I actually choose to have in my life, i.e. my wife and my, my kids. And so I made the choice that it was more important to be spending time with the wife and kids. What I'm most curious about, Ed, was it something in particular? Was it when you said to yourself, that's it, 
I'm out. How was that decision made? There's a very certain line that you cross, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a really good question. So I don't think it was any one particular specific moment. There was lots of oscillating as to whether I was staying or whether I was going. Mm -hmm. I had enough conversations with my wife to realise that um, I was actually ultimately making a choice between my work and my family literally, as opposed to just, oh, every morning I seem to spend more time doing work and less time doing family. Mm-hmm. It was like, if this stays this way, the things you care about most will no longer be in your life. So it was a real, oh, actually, hang on, I'm really fucking this up. Uh, excuse mm-hmm. my French. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I started it. <laughs> <laughs> and, so, and so I just made the decision that, you know, something had to, to give. Clearly, it wasn't going to be my family. Uh, and so... Um, I quit work. Probably the other thing that had happened that I haven't mentioned before is I've always had this, like when I say always, over the last, I'd say 10 years, I've been aware that climate change is a thing and it's happening. And just before the pandemic, there was obviously the 2019 bushfires, which brought home to me that lots of stuff is happening now. This is not just a problem that is for future generations. This is a problem now and it's just going to get worse. Mm -hmm. You know, I've worked in corporate world for coming up to 20 years, I think it was by then, I was just like, well, am I, am I proud enough of any of the stuff that I have done? Am I proud enough of any of the stuff that I am doing? Mm-hmm. You know, I've, 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 I've been earning a good income. I've been supporting my family. These are all great things. But is there anything that I've done that I look back on and go, that's making a difference to the things that actually matter? And so I've basically made a decision that I only want to work on things that I feel are important and the financial side of stuff can take a back seat. So I'm not going to be as worried about how well the job pays or whatever. I'm going to be far more interested in, is the work meaningful? Is it contributing to the things that I think are important? Take me back to Ed 20 years ago when you made a decision to get into corporate. Looking back on that now and sort of from this viewpoint, do you think what you were doing was important? Like unpack that. I think I had different values at that okay. stage in my life yeah. um, or probably different weightings of values at that stage in my life. Okay. I still was interested in environmental matters at that point and social matters, but not anywhere to the same degree. I think I think having um, a wife and kids certainly changes your focus uh, a bit. When I chose the, the kind of white collar pathway, so I did a business degree and a psychology degree at at Macquarie and then went into a grad program at Westpac. I think in some respects, it's kind of hard to articulate, but it's, it's almost the the path that's laid out for you. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's almost like a, well, you, you go to a a good school, you go to a uni and you get a degree that sets you up to go into white collar work. And then you go and you earn a great living for your family. I wouldn't say I did it unquestioningly, but I almost did it unquestioningly. Like it was just sort of, that was, that was what you do. If you Ed, 20 years ago, had even the option of what you're doing now, which way could you, would you have possibly gone? And where I'm leading with that is what has your life been like since December 2021 when you wrote that post? This is an interesting question. Could I 20 years ago have made the decisions that I have made more recently? Mm-hmm. Potentially, yes, but my mm-hmm. life would be very, very different. So I'm thankful for the life that I've had so far because through that 20 years of corporate work, we're in a position where we can make decisions that don't have to be as centered around what does that cost? Um, so yes, we still need to earn money, but it doesn't need to be at the same level that it would 
need to be yeah. if we hadn't done well for that that period before. And what it's really meant over the last year since I quit with Nows is I've had far more flexibility in what I've chosen to do. So I took a couple of months off and did basically nothing to start with. Um, <laughs> defragmentation. Um, <laughs> and then I supported a an independent candidate in the federal election. I had gotten to the point where I was very clear that the the government that was in power at that point wasn't their values weren't aligned with my values. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believed that the best solution was putting some powerful independence in seats. So I was delighted with the results. We had a, uh, a good swing in our seat. We didn't actually win the seat. Nicolette Buller in Bradfield. Um, she is still the shadow representative for Bradfield. So that was the first thing that I got involved in. And whilst I was helping out on that campaign, M, my wife and I were talking a lot about what do we want? What are we after? Mm-hmm. For, for both of us, it was a simpler life, more time with our family and with our friends, ideally, although I haven't lived up to that side as much as I would like to. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I never see you anymore. Uh, so we started really basically looking into what does that actually look like? And so we've sold a place that M owned in Sydney. Um, mm-hmm. We're living with M's parents. They've got a house with a granny flat out the back and they've moved out into the granny flat and we've got the house with the kids. So (laughs) (laughs) it was hard to say no to that. But we've also joined uh, an eco village up in Narara on the central coast. So they're doing a development there at the moment. There's already one stage. There's a bunch of houses up there already. And they're doing a subdivision at the moment that we've bought a lot in. Once the subdivision is done, we'll complete the designs for our um, home and then we'll move up there. It's a, it's a long time away, I think, just because um, the way these things work, they tend to take a lot of time. So. Any development takes a super long time, right? totally. regardless of, of what it is that you're doing. I'm going to take a step back. You said that once you quit your job, you just did nothing. <laughs> Define nothing. I had just turned 40. I'd gotten a really cool mirrorless camera for my birthday. Mirrorless is the new DSLR. Mm-hmm. So fancy camera. And I like taking photos of bugs. So I started learning how to use my camera to take photos of bugs. I read whole books, whole books for the first time, I reckon in 10 years. Like I hadn't read a full book basically since before kids. Well, I mean, obviously I've read lots of, you know, short books with lots of pictures, but the books (laughs) of my own choosing. Yes. Are you very familiar with the very hungry bear and the very angry bear? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And all those, all the bears, yes. (laughs) All the bears. bears. I want to go back to Murara, which is this community um, that is being built. You as a person, I've known you for a little while, have done this, something similar where you and M took off, packed a little van before like van life was even popular. Like you guys did this and drove around what are you looking for when it comes to escaping the rat race? When you close your eyes, what does it look like to you, Ed? Well, that's a good question. What it looks like to me is being able to have more choice about the things that matter to you and Mm -hmm. less um, of your time being dictated to you. So even when you're in reasonable management positions in organisations, 
Well, you do have choice over what you're doing in any given moment. That's great. But actually, you've got to find a way to get six to eight hours worth of meetings in yep. during the course of that day. So you might choose the order of what those meetings are or whatever. But the reality is those are the things that are going to be happening that day. The other element of it that we're really trying, and this is hard to do, but trying to, to change as well, is the keeping up with the Joneses element, the consumption mm-hmm. side of things. And I didn't know this before I left now. I've only sort of read more about it recently, but there's there's a fair bit of research out there indicating that those people that are consumers, naturally consumers, mm-hmm. and like to buy things and have stuff yep. are generally more discontent than people that don't. Um, and I have known that intrinsically, but now there's research evidence that it's also <laughs> true. But it's so hard because you're just bombarded constantly with consumerist life, right? So so we really want to try and change that for ourselves and also for our kids. The last time I saw you was at a an adulting Christmas party that our friends yeah. um, have every year. And you came up to me and you very quickly told me what you were doing, which was, hey, I've quit my job and I'm disappearing. And you said, Ria, it took me a while but I'm joining the intelligent rebellion. <laughs> I was like, I find, I'm like, um, I've converted one and one of my own, which is really awesome. So when you go to Neuralic, what does this community, Look what like. is this community looking like? Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. So um, Narara is a cooperative up on the central coast. It's just, I'm going to make a number up here. It's like five, 10 minutes out of Gosford. It's a former department of primary industries site. So they bought the site 10 years ago um, from mm-hmm basically came with a bunch of, you know, 50s, 60s, 70s age government buildings on it, uh, yeah. uh, a whole bunch of plantations mm-hmm. and a whole bunch of equipment for, it has a gigantic dam and it's in a forest. They've got council permission, they've done stage one. So there's 60 odd, I think, houses mm-hmm. either up or in various states of being designed and built. And then we're joining in in, in stage two. So there'll be a, another 40-ish, I think, once it's all done. It is an eco-village. Um, it is very much about sustainability, all forms of sustainability, I would say. So mm-hmm. they want it to be intergenerational. They want it to be a place that people can live and age in place um, mm-hmm. rather than needing to leave the community to to go elsewhere um, when they get to a point where they, they need more care. The other thing that they've also done is they very intentionally started building their community before they built their houses. And so it's not like some, you know, benevolent billionaire buys the land. They actually had the idea for the eco-village long before it came into existence. And there was a group of good humans who mm-hmm. had this dream and then had to find the place to make the dream happen. Em and I are kind of just interloping on the dreams of others is basically what we're, <laughs> what we're doing. <laughs> I um, do a lot of that. Yeah, yeah totally. There's a number of like just extraordinary things about this place. So because the goal is to be Mm self-sustainable, they've got their own power company. They've got their own water company. As you'd find out with these things, the world is much more challenging than you hope it will be. So Mm -hmm. they've gone, wow, we've got this 43 megalitre dam that looks enormous. Let's use that water rather than using town water. water. But then you discover that the filtration requirements on that water to to make it Mm -hmm. so that you can pass all the regulations to be able to put it into people's houses is like impossibly expensive you can't possibly do that at a at a community level Um, yeah prohibitively expensive exactly they've got a power company there's a community battery there's a smart grid system so um they're still connected to the grid um yeah uh, but mostly that's so that they can send um copious quantities of energy out 
to the grid mm -hmm. rather than bringing much in. So I think at last count, it was there's eight times as much energy getting sent back to the grid than there is getting brought into oh, the community. Wow. What is really innovative? What excites you about the technology you're going to be using to make this eco-community? I love that word. Yeah. Eco-community. Lots of these things are already in place. Um, I mean, one of the things that really attracted us to the place as opposed to trying to do this ourselves is how much intelligence there already is within the community. So mm -hmm. it's a community of like-minded people, but it's not a community of like-minded people that are escaping the rat race. There's a bunch of PhD scientists that have done their research in carbon emissions reduction or have done their research in sustainable living at community. And mixed in with that, there's electricians and landscape gardeners. And mm -hmm. so there's this sort of wonderful kind of community of skills and people bring the skills to the table. So in terms of the actual technologies that we'll be using, good question, like at a really basic level, uh, <laughs> how, do you, how do you communicate across a community of 100 people um, effectively. So there's like a wiki page and that kind of stuff. They're using like Atlassian Confluence. So in many respects, it's run like a business. And in fact, it has to be run like a business. It's a cooperative and you, you have mm -hmm. to, you know, make sure that you're collecting enough money and, and paying out where you need to pay out and all those sorts of things. And then on the, the energy front, so it's predominantly solar and then storage. Um, so every house that's built there has to have sufficient solar for their own needs. Um, mm -hmm. The community buildings have got tons and tons of solar panels on them. People will absolutely look at at other things in like wind and those sorts of things, but really the only things that have been commercialized for personal use or yeah. community level use these days are solar power. What is the vision for your home? So the vision for our home is 80% function, 20% joy. We've got to make sure that it's got all the spaces that we need. And without that, the joy can't happen anyway. We also want it to have just interesting elements. Now, as to what those will be, we're still in the very early stages of, mm -hmm. of design. I mentioned before we started recording that we're, we're homeschooling our eldest kid, um, Jeremy, this year. So one of the spaces that we want in our home is a space that is practical for, for homeschooling. It's kind of a space where you can do some craft in it. There'll be a, a connection that you can put your laptop up and you can make a mess in the room. But you also need to be able to go and use a computer. So that computer is not going to get covered in mess. So, so it's like a, it's got to be a kind of multifunctional space. Yeah, it's like yeah. a it's a classroom effectively. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah just yeah. like a kindergarten's classroom yeah. where you've got your wet area and your desks and then you've got where the giant electronic whiteboard is going to be. Exactly. What are the things, Ed, over the last, um, gosh, it's been almost a year and a bit now, that you have been happy to get rid of? <laughs> happy that you've been happy to let go as you simplify your life i'm really really pleased that em and i get to not sleep in sleep in because you know we've still got kids to get to preschool yes. and stuff we're actually able to kind of have a little cuddle in bed most mornings the boys come in and have a cuddle in bed mm -hmm. and then they pop out and em and i are able to to stay for it might be five minutes it might be 15 minutes who knows realistically when I was working I wasn't even finding time for that because I was like oh my first meeting's at 8 30 and I've got to have breakfast and I've got to do my prep work before that first meeting yeah. I really am enjoying having much less of that anxiety about all of the things that you've got to do but one of the things that I've, I've learned about myself I'm still unlearning a lot of that I've gotten heavily involved in the the community yeah. I say yes to stuff I'm probably doing more already mm -hmm. than is actually what I really want to do longer term as just yeah. the community contribution. You can't help yourself. No, exactly. Yeah. And, and ultimately, one of the reasons to join Narara with its 
beautiful outlook and in the forest is not spend all of your life administering the community. The community, yeah. So like go and spend some time in the forest and maybe go and plant a tree or, or pick yeah. some veggies. What I want to avoid doing is setting my contribution to the, to the community life being all work. Yeah, like the community turning into work. Yes, correct. Yes, and and, and that's where you lose the joy in it when you're like, actually, I've accidentally turned this into work because it's 20 years of undoing. Like that's more than that. It's like your parents telling you that this is the way to be in life and then you've actually consciously have to undo those learnings. What, What is like a really cool practical skill that you've learned over the last year? I mean, you learned how to read again, which was nice. <laughs> I came into 2022 knowing that I wanted to do things that were more addressing climate crisis. I think some of the stuff that I've learned that I've found most valuable is just actually understanding these things more and actually how complicated it is. So mm-hmm. Uh, I'll give you a simple example, compost, right? Compost is a good thing, right? Because you're not throwing things in landfill. Landfill. Yeah. Great. Compost is great. Oh, unless you get it wrong. And if you get it wrong and there's not the right mixture of moisture uh, in there, um, then it just starts producing tons and tons of methane. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Right? So, So composting, great, but make sure you do it the right way. (laughs) <laughs> oh shit like exactly exactly okay whilst i'm looking for a simpler life one of the things that has really opened my eyes to is that the simple life is actually complicated um mm-hmm. it's really easy to kind of say oh well uh solar panels uh make sense and everyone should have what's called a heat pump hot water system heat pump yeah. hot water systems are, are much more efficient blah blah blah, blah. Mm-hmm. it feels like a blanket that's just obvious you should do it but it turns out that in you know in Narara, that is the right answer. But but up in um, northern Australia, you probably yeah. shouldn't have a heat pump hot water system. You should just have solar hot water because you get so much sun that the hot water is heated really well through just the sun. If it's a holiday house, you probably don't want a, a heat pump hot water system because it's still going to be every night heating oh, the water back up, water. right? Also every day heating the water the water back yeah. up. But you're not going to be there. So you just want a, a little instantaneous system. So even though that ga- that system is probably running on gas or whatever. Gas, electricity or whatever, it's more it's efficient. It's probably still more efficient because you're only there 10% of the time. And some of this stuff that it's like, there's an answer that is true 90% of the time, but there is actually mm-hmm. still the 10% that's, um, and uh, like, I've really enjoyed learning about all of that mm-hmm. stuff. It's not remotely what I thought when I was thinking, oh, I'm going to go and help in environmental things i'm still at the point of just learning the basics this is me being super biased and this is my cognitive bias is like i imagined you living up in this village or community with m and and the boys frolicking and you're riding a tractor and like doing agriculture singing kumbaya with a guitar around a campfire yeah. So I, I, what's the daily life look like? Like I'm, I'm probably very wrong with that. Well, well, well I would say, <laughs> I would say that the, the beauty of the community is that there is absolutely some of that, um, yeah. but there's also plenty of people who commute into Sydney and work in like IT and yeah. stuff still in the rat race, actually, despite mm-hmm. having moved to, to Narara. It's not quite as um, peace, love and mung beans as it, as it <laughs> <Yeah>. might seem. <laughs> <laughs> and that's I legit think, in my brain yeah, so yeah, yeah. Just, i know I, I know that i need to undo that yeah but i think if, if it had been 
but so do I, right? But but I think <laughs> if it had been completely peace, love and mung beans, M would still have gone, but but I don't think I would have been able to, like I, I'm, just, I'm just not quite as hippie as, as M is. What are the challenges that you're finding when you are trying to transition into a life that's very different to the one that you're used to? I think that's, you've, you've nailed it there. The first challenge is how different it is. And there's going to be significant adjustment for us as we, probably one of the main adjustments is that it's it's a community. It's an intentional community of people. Whereas typically the way people live in modern society is a little bit more isolated. It's their family and their friends, but there's much less connection with the neighbours. We'll all be very connected with the neighbours. You know, we're, we're all um, contributing to the same patch of land and the same, you know, community. And so I think there's more opportunity for conflict where, you know, you're trying to get a hundred people pulling in the same direction. Whereas in your own household, you've only got to get four people pulling in the same direction to hopefully get somewhere that you want to get to, or maybe even two. <laughs> Depends on the decision rights of the kids. Maybe just yourself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And so there's going to be lots of that challenge, which is part of what we want as well. But I, I think mm-hmm. it, you know, it was one of those decisions to move to this eco village was because we felt that the positives outweigh the the challenges and that if we attempted to do this more sustainable life just by ourselves, it would be a bit more isolating mm-hmm. and, and more challenging in respect of just knowing what to do. I call it collective knowledge. Yeah. It, it's like you can't know everything. So you, you have to build the library of people who has who have all the inf- like as much information as you can, and you kind of build an entire human. See, I find it strange that you say that though. Uh, like when you talk about the challenge of living in a community, I was born in the Philippines and I was born in our family compound, which is just a laneway where all my cousins and aunts and my grandparents used to live. And so you are living in a community on top of each other. I've always lived my life is very village-like. Like I'm a yeah. I'd like to have lots of people around me. I'm a very open door policy. I'm the one to always be like, yes to anything when it comes to meeting up with friends or family. So living in Australia, and especially when you have kids, they're like, isolate for six weeks. And that was like the most foreign thing in the world to me. Yeah. And my, my mom would come over every single day, see the baby, see me, make sure I'm okay. I just found it really interesting that you're like, oh, it's it's it might be a challenge to live amongst a community of people. I'm just like, oh, that's that's normal it is normal it's just it's not i don't think it's how it's it's not our normal at the moment yeah 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 Yeah. Yeah. Um, for example once a month there's a members meeting that runs Mm -hmm. for a few hours on a sunday and there's stuff presented there's sometimes decisions to be made the whole community is able to go there have been put into whatever is being presented at the time because much more is owned by the community i mean ultimately collectively we are the cooperative that is running the eco village like how do you make (laughs) decisions like is it obviously majority rule i don't know like that's going to be really freaking fun (laughs) and so the so the model that they great question the model that they (laughs) they use is sociocracy yes sociocracy Yes. So let's be clear, I'm not the the expert on on all of these matters, but really simply, basically the way that it it operates is that within a decision-making unit, let's say NEV Power is the group that makes the decisions about um, our electricity and what we're going to to do. There'll be some things that the the rules dictate need to be decided by all members, so that needs to Mm -hmm. go to a vote of some description, but other things can be decided within that that decision-making group. Got it. 
And within sociocracy, within that circle that is the decision-making entity, everyone gets the opportunity to have a, a say. A facilitator will put forward a proposal. So this is what we think the path forward will be. And everybody has the opportunity to either consent to that or object to it. Mm-hmm. And if there are objections, you look to adjust the proposal so that everyone can, can consent. Consent doesn't mean, I think this is the best decision. It means... Yeah. I think this is a good enough decision that it's safe mm-hmm. enough for us to try. So it doesn't require everyone to be like on board 100%, but it does require everyone to to have had any really burning concerns mm-hmm. resolved. That can be a challenge in itself because if there's if there's someone that's sort of going, no, how, how do you get around that? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah how, do, how do you get around and, that? And, and the key is how do you get around it is probably not the right attitude to take to it is to basically assess, is this a valid concern? Is, it, is mm-hmm. it stating that the thing is not going to work because of this reason, this reason, this reason? Yeah. As opposed to, I don't think we should choose that because I think we should choose this. Well, I don't think we should choose that. I think we should choose this is not a valid concern. Okay, yeah. But but if you can articulate, I don't think we should choose this option because... It's going to blow up It's going to blow up this thing. Yeah. Then that's a concern that needs to be addressed. Okay. Typically, Typically in sociocracy, like the vote would be unanimous. That process of getting to the point where you will get a proposal that will will get voted on is probably slower. It certainly requires more mm-hmm. effort, hopefully is more likely to provide a solution that everybody can live with. That's at least the intent of it. Yeah, yeah. So there's no major significant objections. Yeah. It's like satisfactory across yeah. across the board. What would you say to somebody who was you back in, say, November 2021 when you were starting to seriously think, hey, I think I want out? What would be like the no bullshit, this is what needs to happen to make this a reality? I'm a practical person and Mm -hmm. so fair bit of what's been involved has actually just been literally looking at the finances and understanding like longer term what do we need to live off Mm -hmm. what have we got accumulated now and so therefore what could we be earning to still be able to support the lifestyle that we want to to live and you very quickly realize that living in Sydney in a white collar job are then going to the bank and finding out how much they can borrow and then borrowing nearly as much as they possibly can to buy a house that is bigger than what they need to send their kids to a private school that is more expensive than anything should ever be. Mm -hmm. That's the keeping up with the Joneses thing. And so for me, it was a listening to my wife who helped me listen to myself because inside I kind of knew that it wasn't right. Something needed to change. But I think that's the key thing. It's like overcome the fear and do what your gut is telling you you need to do. I'm going to start wrapping up here, Ed. Conservation and environmental impact is big on your mind. What can someone like me very simply do that I can just sort of incorporate into my day to help a little bit? Because change is lots of people doing lots of little things. Yes. What would be like your biggest thing for me that well, I should do to help the environment? It's not necessarily a, an everyday thing. If you don't have solar panels on your roof, you should put some solar panels mm-hmm. on your roof, basically because it's something you can do for the environment to make us less reliant on the fossil fuels that power the, the grid. Um, mm-hmm. But also 
uh, it's something that you will do that will drop the, the cost of your energy bills. And so they'll pay themselves back in a short period of time. Along that same line, if you've got gas to your house, the next time your oven needs replacing or your hot water system, if it's gas, needs replacing, mm-hmm. replace it with something that's not gas. Um, and then you get to the point where you no longer need the gas connection to your house. So once you've got solar panels and electricity to your house, like your energy bills will be substantially lower and you'll be yeah. doing substantial things for the environment. The other one, and this is the this is the toughest one, it's consumption. My gut feel is because solar is working so well and the technology has worked, is that I feel like society is going to get there on energy. Mm-hmm. I'm more concerned about whether it's going to get there on changing the consumption patterns so that we're not creating as much waste. Ed, I wanted to say thank you so much for sharing just like this randomness of what you've done. And I so admire you because I feel like you're living a dream that a lot of people don't feel like that they're capable of doing. But as you said, get all the things that you need to sorted, be really practical or whatever's going to make you feel better about it. It's scary regardless. It's a matter of less scary. People can reach out to you if they have any questions about... About the Eco Village? There's still a couple of lots available. I was was actually going to ask, where do I sign me up? (laughs) Um, I have some very particular skill sets that I could add. And happy birthday to Em. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time for coming on. I appreciate you. I appreciate your time. And you're my hero. (laughs) (laughs) See you later. Awesome. Thanks, Ria. Catch ya. The Intelligent Rebellion podcast is hosted by me, Ria Mikado. Wills is our executive producer, our emperor of sound, and the talent behind all our original music. The podcast is brought to you by Three Sticks Training and Development and Ria Mikado HQ. If you want to contribute your vision towards a better future, contact us at www.theintelligentrebellion.com.